so today was the AIDS walk, and uh, some of our members are off doing that. Some are getting back. I'm very happy that we, um, as community, are participating in that. I have this belief that you, um, it's easy to pull a whole group of people together and put on a show, um, but what really comes out of your heart, you believe and you act on. So then, if you're doing it, like doing the AIDS walk, or if you're worshiping at home, when you get here, it's the overflow that we get with one another. It's not a show. You're not going to have to put it on, you know? And so I love it when people are doing these kinds of things because it's coming out of our hearts. So we want to remember, remember when, when I was a kid, when to have HIV was to have a death sentence. And we lost so many people. And today, we have wonderful drugs, wonderful communities that are not shaming anymore. And that people don't live in isolation. When Robbie and I, when Micah was born, the gentleman behind our house uh, was suffering. We called, just called it the virus. And I had just had Micah, and he was like, ooh, no, I don't want Mike. Here's my baby, you know? And isolation, separation, still not good, never going to be. So we celebrate today for all the wonder of, uh, of our scientific discoveries, and we look for a cure. Amen? Amen? We look for a cure. So thank you to everyone who participated in that. Next, I just have to tell you that if you make slime, <laughs> I just have to put it out there just so you know, because I don't want to hear about it later on. If you make slime, you will be slimed upon. <laughs> you have to know going in that no adult is safe in that community. I haven't even been there yet, but I already know. And I know I'm not safe. So dress accordingly and show up. It's like having like a food fight without food. Well, well, there's going to be food. Well, well, we'll see. So please, come on out and participate with our kids. Again, it's an opportunity for us to be community. We are not leading the show. Yay. Ham, Able Center, they are leading the show, and we are coming alongside to participate. I want them to know we care. I want the community to see us over and over and over again. And you may say, Angel, I can't come to everything. Listen to the spirit and come to the stuff the spirit directs you to participate in. Amen? All right. Y'all see I'm kind of wild today, but, you know. <laughs> All right. And today, we want to remember our sister Joy and her family as Joy prepares uh, for surgery. Um, some of you have been trekking along that, that Joy has gone in, what, three weeks ago for surgery? About a month ago? Um, to, um, to have surgery to treat fry, fry fibroids, um, and now she's going in, and she said it publicly, so, for hysterectomy. And so, we want to pray for Joy, and I want to invite you all up, uh, invite them up. This is the only way I know how to do church, y'all. So I'm calling for the elders, and then last week I was kind of like, oh, let's just do it a little bit, but actually, I want to invite the whole church up, if you're willing. Don't feel pressured. You can extend the hand. But if you're willing and able and want to pray for our sister as she goes in. Amen. I'm going to pray. Eric, would you close? Can you yell? <laughs> our God and our parent, we come before you as your children lovingly in care of our sister Joy. Lord, you've been with her through the pain, the bleeding, the fear, and the loss. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to walk with her through this surgery. Lord, we pray for the, the, the physical things that the doctor has to do, that you would give him or her wisdom and a steady hand, oh God. 
We pray that the doctor has listening ears to the wisdom of the nurses gathered around and assistants gathered around. Um, and we pray, Lord, for barrier and hedge of protection in that theater, oh God. We know that no weapon formed against us will prosper. And we claim this over Joy's life. She is vital to our community, oh God. She's vital to her husband's love and to her family. Lord God, we also pray for the things that this means with the hysterectomy. And Joy and Lauren, as they have been dealing with this, Lord, over the years, we pray that you would give them a sense of peace. We thank you, Father, for the increasing family that you've given them. We pray for your guidance, oh God, for them, because Joy is such a mom, caring and loving, oh God. And I thank you that that will continue to flow in the ways that you have called her to allow that to happen. But there is grief. And so, Lord, I ask you to be the balm and the comforter for that, oh God. And Lord, I pray that it would be a steady and as quick as possible recovery, oh God. Don't let her get it before it's time. Lord, <laughs> Lord, give all her family the spirit of a bear <laughs> to make her sit down while she needs to sit down. But Lord, we pray for her release in the name of Jesus that when it's time, Lord, you would give her dreams and visions of what the future holds for her, O oh God, and you'll send her forth in the power and authority of your spirit, O oh God. It's been a season of, of distress, a season of also rest and peace, O oh God. So we ask that you would fire up this spirit within this tiger you have here. This community, Lord, has never seen anything like this woman. Lord, make her way straight. Make her way straight. Thank you for a loving husband, oh God, who walks with her every step of the way. Thank you for his kind and gentle spirit in knowing how to love this woman. Increase his understanding, oh God, of his wife at this time. We pray and we honor you, God, because you are our light. You are our way. You are our hope and peace, and we rest in you. pray for her family. Uh, we also pray that the community will rise up around them and support them with food and, and practical things that, that help them through this difficult time. Uh, Joy has been such an important member of this community for so long, um, and we just pray that that community will now support her in the way that she has supported all of us for all this time. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. As we move into um, our sermon for the day, you know how I pray sometimes and I say, Lord, it's okay if you change the sermon, but don't. Well, he beat me to the punch and did. So I want you guys to pray for me as, we, as I'm preaching today. I want to hear from the Spirit and move accordingly, but he's added some pieces. And I want to be mindful of our time and presence. Pray with me, if you will. Our God and our Father, we are grateful to you. Number one, because you love us. Lord, I need that love. I know the people gathered here need not only to mentally assent and have knowledge of it, Lord, but we need to feel you and to know you, oh God. You are so welcome in this place to fill up every crack and crevice, oh God. You are free in this place to just be you. Your word says you're looking for a place to show yourself strong. And I put it in my terms, you're looking for a place, oh God, to show off. So I say show off right here, oh God. Show off amongst your people, oh God, that you would be strong. We present ourselves to you to be used by you, oh God, in relationship. We want to know you. We want to know the power of that resurrection. And we understand that there's a price, oh God, with it because it comes with the fellowship of your suffering. 
And Father, this is a community that has suffered, oh God. This is a community that has tired, that has been through some changes, oh God. And you can say, it hasn't been much. People have gone through worse. But that's not at issue. It's the context of their struggle that you see, oh God. I pray for this community to be revived. I pray for this community to be restored. I pray for this community to rise up despite what they see, despite what they feel, despite what anyone else says. To listen to your voice, oh God. You told us your sheep know your voice and another they will not follow. We trust in your word, God. We trust in you. So we look for you in these moments, oh God, in in sermon and in worship, oh God. We look for you because we know, Lord, we're not special, but we are. You love us, and it means everything. So may you be glorified in the way I preach. May you lead me in the words I use and in the style and mannerisms that come before the people, that they would be acceptable. Speak, O God. And Lord, if my words don't make sense, Holy Spirit, you do the work in the lives of the people that need to be done. We're yours, and we love you, and we bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we are continuing in uh, this next sermon series called The Means. The Means. And it's this little tweak on it is about understanding our relationship with the spirit. Okay. Um, I want to share why this is important again. Uh, And I want to use some scripture to help us in our understanding. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 from the Living Word translation um, says that out of his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you the mighty inner strengthening of his spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long and how wide and how deep and how high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great that you will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. So, at the least, you'll be filled up with God himself. I want us to understand some of the fun, the foundational things uh, about who God is and who we are in relation to God. So a quick review. We started with the message that God is community. God exists in a loving unity in which each person of the Trinity is devoted to itself. The community gives and sustains life. We discussed that our own creation story. And we looked at how this wonderful triune God was present in the creation of everything that was. And then we looked at the mission that God gave humanity. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it and reign over everything. We examined the separation of what some people call the fall. And we defined that death, what death is. We said death looks like hiding and desiring not to truly be seen by God or by others. It's shame and blame and fear and running away. I reminded you that eternal life was always God's plan for us. The tree of life was there before the first humans, and they were, they were free to choose that. They were free, but instead they got focused on what they couldn't have. And their eyes were open, and they knew good, which they already knew, but now they knew evil. They knew what it was to be separate. They knew what it was to deal in death. Relational brokenness entered the world, and we've been struggling. We've been struggling in our marriages and in our engagements with the court. We've been struggling, sometimes just walking down the street with just trying to be free and go to work. We've been struggling. Been struggling in the line at McDonald's. Sometimes we've been struggling with the illnesses we get and how the medical people treat us. We've been struggling. And sometimes it seems like the struggle is bigger than the joy we get. As we walk down the same street and are able to say hi, but life has taught us not to say hi because we need to stay separate, to stay safe. 
Life has taught us to expect wrong and expect evil and bad words coming from people's mouths instead of to expect grace coming and an opportunity for someone else to speak life into us. Life has taught us some things that we have, have developed habits with now. And we walk around with those habits not recognizing, well, maybe we do, the need to be transformed in the way that we live our lives together. Last week, we discussed that just as God intended for us to experience eternal life, that was always the plan. It was always the plan that humanity would live life in relationship with God. That through this relationship, we would explore and live out our mission. It was the plan then. God hasn't changed God's mind. It is the plan now. And today, we'll explore God's intention and, intention and reestablishing, at reestablishing life with the Spirit with us. Just a bit more. But first, I need to talk about a couple of things. What am I doing? I'm talking about the overarching narrative of the scripture, right? Um, because we can deal with the scripture in terms of pieces, and often we do. We hear sermons about topics and, and, and general things in scripture, and we have pieces, and we have a piece over here and a piece over there and a piece over there and a piece over there, but we need a foundation that helps us understand those pieces and actually helps us to take the puzzle and plant it better so we understand. So I want to talk about the overarching story of scripture, what you'll see from Genesis all the way to the end of the book. And I want to show you that what God intended from the beginning, he constantly repeats God's self. I got to stop calling God just he. I'm working on it, y'all. But she wants us to know, to know, not just think, but to know that she's got it. God's got us. God's not lost in the midst. We're not lost in the shuffle. God wants us to know it because when we know it, we'll live it. You can't fake this salvation. You can't fake this life with God. People try, but you know, we read the books. Not the book on the, on, on the shelf, but the book of people's lives. We read them, and we can try to hide all we want to. But somebody's got our number, and it's turning the pages of our book. And that's not said to... to, to, to make us concerned or to put fear in our hearts. Hopefully it said in this way, be free. Because just as maybe I can read your book, you read mine. And there doesn't have to be any shame in this game because we all have the same Savior who died for us and rose again and is calling us to live an abundant life in the midst of community with one another. I want to read this definition of, of narrative. It's a presentation of a particular situation or process in such a way as to reflect or conform to an overarching set of aims. In writing, you might consider the master narrative to be the overarching story you're telling or the route to the point that you're making. And so the overarching story of God is the route, it's the path that God is, is taking us through to fulfill what God has said. And for us in community, what he's fulfilling is the ability in us to reflect his image and be fruitful and multiply. All right? So in talking about God and how God does what God does to make this all come about, we got to talk about miracles a little bit. And so I want to put up, Ms. Magda Will, another slide. This is one of my favorite things I got out of seminary. I went to seminary 10 years ago, and I still pull this sucker up anytime I can because I love it. And I know it's small, and I'm going to read it. And if you want a copy of it after we're done talking about it, just ask me, and I'll send it to you. This is written by Martin Buber, who was a Jewish philosopher. And it is a beautiful uh, statement on miracle. Listen, if you will. Miracle is not something supernatural, nor is it something super historical, 
but an incident, an event which can be fully included in the objective scientific nexus of nature and history. History begins in miracle. History begins in an event of abounding astonishment. That it is astonishing, that it provokes wonder, means that the event defies our conventional explanations and resists our intellectual domestications. There is in the event something overwhelming and overriding which does not submit to our modes of intellectual analytical mastery. Moreover, the awesomeness of the happening endures, continuing to claim and redefine the community that is beset by it in astonishment. Miracles are not supernatural. They aren't. They, are, they do not exist outside of history. They do not. You are not, we're not rubbing our hands together and praying real hard and crossing our fingers and everything, our hairs, whatever we got to cross, hoping for magic. The world was created when God said, let there be a miracle happened. And miracles continue to happen because they're supposed to. If God is involved, there's miracles. And it's not anything wrong to expect one. I expect God to be God. God can't help doing stuff. Sometimes I get mad about the stuff God does, in all honesty. Yeah, yeah, come on, shake your head, nod. But most of the time, I'm overjoyed. Miracles are supposed to be the fabric of our lives. It's always God that gives us increase. Have you ever done stuff? Listen, I used to have people... Um, I talked about technology with, with a, a new couple today that came to church. And um, um, when I was in Boston, we got a technology program developed. I had no money. Just had a dream. Talk to y'all about dreaming the dream. Dreamt this dream. And the money came. And people started giving. And people showed up that I did not know. I did not know these people. I don't know who called my name to them and told them how to get to me. I suspect because he didn't know me and I didn't know him and I didn't really know the community he came from that maybe he had an encounter with an angel because he said, they sent me to you. Black chick, at the time, my 30s, 50-something-year-old white guy. In technology, I'm in ministry. I don't know you. And part, you know, honestly, I'm looking at him, and he's, about, he's telling me about his family stuff, and I'm looking, I'm going, and I don't know if I really want to. <laughs> but little did I know what God had in store. He loved my kids and gave them jobs. He loved my kids and created uh, out of dirt a room, three rooms for us to have technology in. My friend, Bill Gates, told him no. He said, uh-uh, I ain't having it. And I walked, I remember walking to the church seeing, back then, uh, Gateway had the little delivery vans that, had, that looked like the cow. Gateway was in front of the house. And two UPS in front of the church, two UPS vans were in front of the church. And they just were just, they had a convoy going to just taking stuff in and out. Miracles. They had $80,000 worth of software. Just the software. Miracles. Because God is God. There was nothing special about me except I was looking. God is looking for a place to show himself strong. God is looking. He's looking for an opportunity in your life and in my life. God's looking. Are we looking for God? Are we looking for him and excited about what he's going to do? I'm trying to calm down. I want us to think about that overarching narrative of God is community and so are we. That God's given us a mission and God 
always intended us to have eternal life, and God always intended to walk through life with us as we think about the role of the Spirit in our lives, okay? So to begin this part, I want to tell you some things. First, I want to say the Spirit is not lesser than God. The Spirit is not a subordinate to the parent and to Jesus. The Spirit is not spooky. I grew up with a spooky spirit that made me want to sit on the back row and not let, especially when people got happy, I didn't understand that stuff. I wanted to be, you know, far away. But I could time it. One o'clock, she's going to go off. Oh, yeah, there it is. Um, I didn't say that. The spirit, the spirit is not to be feared, resulting in us hiding because the spirit sees me. So I got to hide from the spirit and act like the spirit's not there. Life in the spirit is not only about the charisms. It's not only about the speaking in tongues and having a word of knowledge and all that other stuff, interpretations. But we, that's supposed to be our sign of a really moving church. We've been in those churches, maybe, and we know the story. They're just like every other church. There's stuff. All God's children got stuff going on. But we think it makes us somehow touch and become part of the supernatural when we act in spooky ways with the spooky spirit. Am I lying? And so we think people are really deep, you know, and we want to listen to them. And we run off to that prophet, and I'm not saying that they are not prophesying in the name of Jesus. Please hear me. I'm just saying, I love to be in the churches and listening when there's a word of interpretation. I always wonder, though, why does God talk in, like, King James English? <laughs> Have you ever wondered that? Thus saith the Lord our God. Like, God doesn't know what time it is? That we don't talk like that anymore? Does that sound more official? It's true, right? It does. So he makes you go, oh, something big is about to happen. So maybe he's like, I got to get your attention. See, I'm not saying he didn't do it. He doesn't tell the person to speak that way. But it's always made me laugh. And we get more excited that the event happened than what was spoken. Life isn't only about the charisms, the little stuff that makes us tingling. The spirit is here for relationship. Doing life together with the, with the spirit was always intended. Okay. So the scripture says that the first humans walked in the cool of the day. The imagery presented in Hebrew is that there was wind and there's a mist. So we saw wind again when we were, um, when the breath of life was breathed into man. That ruach is what's being addressed. That the ruach of God was present in the moment with the first humans in the garden. And the ruach of God is present with us today flow in the spirit. Okay. So I entitled this sermon, The Means. Are y'all following me? Because I feel like I'm kind of choppy. Yeah, it's okay? Okay, okay. All right. And I want to define what means is, but I only feel like I can do it by asking a question. By what means did God intend to enable humanity to live out our mission? By what means did God intend to, for us to live it out? Okay, I've answered it repeatedly, but you know, you gotta repeat things, right? The means, next slide. I wanna define it. To have the resources needed to do something. For example, when you have property, it's a resource. And you can get a line of credit and do some stuff, right? The resources. It puts us in a position to achieve something. It's usually spoken of in financial terms and wealth terms, 
So when I speak of means, I speak of the greatest gift and the, or the greatest resource we could ever be given. Last week, the scripture that was sent out for this theme was from Ephesians 1-3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing there is. We have been given the greatest gift and blessing. The resource that we've been given has become or should become through our time and relationship, the source out of which we live. It, the resource is someone we have access to, to help us achieve our mission. Okay? And that being the spirit of the living God. I want to go back and look at John 14 that we looked at last week, just a little bit. But I got to read a lot of scripture. And I read a lot of scripture not to bore you, but so you know it's anchored in the scripture, what I'm saying. And so when you go home and you take out your Bibles, as I know you do, and go through what I've taught because you want to check me and make sure I'm not telling you a bunch of junk. Because you're not going to believe me because I said it. But because the spirit of God confirms it in your life. Amen. So I want to go back to John 14. It says this, if you love me, obey me, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, and he will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who leads into all truth. The world at large cannot receive him, for it's not looking for him, and it doesn't recognize him. But you do, for he lives with you, the wind, and someday shall be in you. No, I will not abandon you or leave you as orphans in a storm. I will come to you. In just a little while, I will be gone from the world, but I will still be present with you, for I will live again, and you will too. I will come back to life again, and you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me and I in you. The one who obeys me is the one who loves me. And because he loves me, my father will love him and I will too. And I will reveal myself to him or to you. Why does Jesus say, why is it the first thing in this little section? If you love me, obey me. It takes me back to Genesis 3.1 in the separation when God said, who told you you were naked? Who have you been listening to? I want you to listen to me and I want you to do what I'm telling you because I created you. I know there was nothing and then there was you. Can anybody top that? So obey me, not out of some... And, and so the word is, is difficult because it feels like an obligation. And we are in a generation that doesn't want anybody to tell us what to do. It's true. But when we see a good thing, you know, from one time I'm crying to the Lord, show me, show me, show me. Then he shows me something. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but we're asking and God is answering. We look at what God is saying and it seems sometimes too impossible or it's going to cost us something that we don't want to give up. And we think that's the end of the discussion, just like the first humans did in the garden. Who told you? Because I didn't. If you wanted to know something, you could have asked me. You didn't have to go outside and make something else your source. I'm that source. I want to talk to you. I want to share with you. I want to give you understanding. I have never had God beat up on me. I just haven't. If I was willing to listen, he was talking. And when I wasn't, God was like this. I could feel it. You ready? <laughs> you ready? No, Lord, I'm not ready. But coming back. And he said, if you love me, listen to me. Not just hear the words, but do it. And he says, I will ask the Father, and the Father will give you a comforter who will never ever leave you do not have to live your life alone 
If you have received Christ, the spirit of the living God has come and taken up. You know, we said Jesus came and tabernacled amongst us. The spirit has come and tabernacled within us. We are the mansion. Remember that? How people say, my father's house and many mansions. And if it were not so, and we preach this thing at funerals, and I just shake my head, oh no. Um, because it's not what it's talking about. And it's okay because we want to bring people comfort. Please hear me. And I'm, I'm, maybe I'm doing seminary fun and I shouldn't, so I'll pull it back. But we are the mansion that God is erecting in the world. In the world, in this relationship, this home that God has made in you, we want to make God feel welcome. People come to my house, my family complains to me when we're about to have company. Because I'm about to clean everything. Some furniture might get moved around, and if they don't run fast enough, they might have to do some work. <laughs> Why do I do that? People, my daughter says to me, people don't care if the house is messy. That's not the reason I do that. Because I know my friends don't care. I'm trying to create an environment so that when they come to my house, they can rest. They don't have to think about nothing. They're peaceful. It's cool. And I enjoy creating that environment for people and preparing it so they can do that. My mom did that. I always enjoyed that until she told me I had to start helping her. <laughs> but I did. So the Holy Spirit is making a home in us. What do we do? What are we doing that makes the Holy Spirit welcome? Yeah? Yeah? This is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. It's the Spirit's job to lead us and to help us and to guide us. We need that guide. We need that ruach. We need the cool of the day experiences with God when we're asking God questions and God is answering them. Or we're just sitting in the presence of God with an anticipation of God's presence with us. Jesus said, the world came the world can't see him or recognize the spirit because they don't intend to do life with the spirit. They intend to live separated as orphans, but I won't live you that way. Look for the spirit and you'll see. Listen for the spirit and you'll hear. Seek the spirit. Knock. God will answer. Went on to say, when I come back, rise from the dead. Here is the miraculous sign. This is the sign. I'm rising from, from the dead. This is how you know when the spirit is coming. Then you will know that I am in the Father. When I raise up, when you receive me, I'm in the Father, and you are in me. And when you read the scriptures and you see Jesus say, and I am in the Father, you and I can get a smile. You can say, so am I, because I'm in Christ. So am I. I am before at all times the throne of Almighty God. That's how I envision it. I don't have to be ashamed to go into the throne room of my Father. And I don't have to bow and scrape and do a 40 million chant. I can go in and climb into his lap on the throne and let him envelop me in God's arms and I can be all right. I can listen because there's intimacy. There is that intimacy in the relationship that I have with God. And I don't know how it happens, but I feel it. There are times in worship I'll just get quiet and start rocking because through this gift of imagination, somehow it feels like Jesus is present and I'm just dancing with the Lord. And I just have a little slow dance with my big brother because I need it. And it fills me up and it's real. It's real. And he goes on to say, when you listen to me and follow what I tell you, you'll see me. Just so you know, it's not me saying it. Jesus said it. If you do these things, 
you're going to see me. So if you're doing these things and you don't see them, you get to ask, where you at? Where are you? Give me some instruction. Maybe I'm, I don't quite get it. I don't quite understand it. Show me so I can understand. I'm willing. I'm meek. Meek means teachable. I'm teachable. Show me. Talk to me. I told my girlfriend this morning, last night, part of the show me I'm teachable is I've got to have some word planted in me to give Jesus something to work with. So part of being meek and being teachable is being ready. And it's not memorization for the sake of memorization, because again, I tell you, if the word is not coming off and living in our lives, it's just another nice book to read. That word have I hid in my heart that I might not be separated from you. Isn't that a good, isn't that a good definition? It, it's really functional. All right, y'all still with me? Okay. So how it works. Return to mission. Our mission is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? But guess what? Chapter 15 of the Gospel of John is a restatement of that mission. All right? Again, more scripture. John 15, 1 through 8. Still the living version because I think it just is easier to understand. I am the true vine. My father or mother is the gardener. He lops off every branch that doesn't produce. He prunes those branches that bear fruit for even larger crops. He has already tended to you by pruning you back for, for greater strength and usefulness by means of the commands I gave you. Take care to live in me and let me live in you. For a branch can't produce fruit when severed from the vine, nor can you be fruitful apart from me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whosoever lives in me and I in him or them shall produce a large crop of fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything. If anyone separates from me, it's thrown away like a useless branch and withers and is gathered into a pile with all the, other, with all the others and burnt. But if you stay with me, if you listen and do what I'm telling you, you may ask me any request, and I'll grant it. That is a little bit too much to believe. Let me finish reading. My true disciples produce bountiful harvests. They bring great glory to my Father. You see how it's related? God gave us mission. God hasn't changed God's mind. We're continuing in pursuit of this. So here we go. When I read the scripture, and sometimes still when I read the scripture, instead of focusing on him, the vine, and I'm, my father's the gardener, I focus on this. He lops off every branch that doesn't produce. And I get worried that I'm that branch. Right? That's not me. That's not you. Verse 3 says, he's already tended to you, pruning you back for greater strength and usefulness. So the lop off is not us. Y'all holding with me? You tired? You come back next week because I want you to get it. I'm truly serious. He's not, God is not a bad guy looking for ways to condemn you and I for not living up to God's standards. I know we hear that. I think I've been in church and heard that all my life. But still, my attention, in spite of me hearing that, goes to the second verse. And I'm afraid that I'm going to get lopped off. What I believe comes out of me in my behavior. What I believe when I'm in sin or I'm doing something stupid, I run from God because somehow my, my brain and my belief system is telling me that God is mad at me. And I've, all those other sermons and things I've heard that you can't bring sin in front of God. All that stuff starts running in my brain, and I run away. And then God has to come after me because God does. God always does. He will not let you and I get far. He's calling, but shame wants to keep us away, and we do just what the first humans did. We hide. We hide in our, in our businesses. We hide in our degrees. We hide in our relationships. We just plain out hide and sleep all the time. 
We hide. Because there's a part of us that struggles. I understood the man that came to Jesus with his son and said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I want to know you. And some of it is just simple. It is this. It's the blind leap of faith. That God is who God says God is. God is constantly showing us. But because we are in relationship, we can't read the signs. Or we need to go a little bit deeper in relationship because the questions we have demand a greater maturity in our lives. So we can see the signs that are being offered to us, the roadmaps that are there before us. And it is simply by asking God, Lord, I don't know how to see. I'm blind to this. I need you to heal my blindness. Lord, I'm deaf to this. And maybe I'm deaf to this Maybe I'm deaf to church because I've been abused in church. So I'm deaf to this. I'm deaf to the way people try to come together because eventually I know they're going to hurt me. And I need you, Lord, to heal me. I need you to be God in the midst of this situation and go before me and protect me and hold me because I'm getting this thing Angel is teaching. She's teaching about community, but I'm afraid of this community. I want it. It's true. I can feel that it is, but I'm afraid. It has so damaged me. But yet and still, God in his magnificent glory, God in his wonder is reaching out and doing something new. Doing something new for you and for me. Because it's not just your story. It's mine too. I didn't want a pastor. But here I am. It's the truth. Because this feels like home. I told you, even in the midst of my family of origin, we get mad at each other. I couldn't bring the language that gets used by my siblings into this sanctuary. You know what I'm saying? And we can have a knockdown, throwdown fight with each other. And again, the next thing you say is, you hungry? I'm going to make something to eat. I still think you're wrong, and I'm sick of you, but I'm, gonna make, I'm making what you want. <laughs> but nobody taught us to live like that. Outside, sometimes, of families. Sometimes nobody taught us to live like that in our families. Or sometimes they did, and we don't know the gift we have until somebody like my father dies and person after person gets up and talks about it. You right, man. Y'all stick together. It's cool. Blindness dropping off. The other thing that happens in community is this spooky thing about Jesus and people that seem like they're bigger than life and otherworldly when they're speaking in tongues and prophesying and this and that, you and I don't feel like we can say anything to them, especially those that might ignore a lot of words. And they just, they just hit you, boy. The Lord says, and the Bible says, and the Bible says, and you're just, but, but. And so we run and hide. But you can, you are grown, not just age-wise, but in Christ. And you can say, in all honesty, without shame, and people do it all the time, I don't know where it is in the Bible, but I know that God has said, I don't know, but my relationship tells me. And then you can say in your brain, Lord, where is that? The Lord will bring somebody to tell you, or you'll flip on it, and then you can run back to him. See? (laughs) Because it's in the course of the living. We are all thieves. All thieves. I learned this in my in churches coming up. I, you know, came during a time when people would sit you down because they knew about some sin you were having. And you got sent, you know, and girls who got pregnant had to come up and apologize to the, the congregation. And the guys would just run off, or it was the pastor's son, but we won't talk about that. Um, that creates its own kind of fear. That in a place where you should be free, there's a double and triple standard. 
says I'm doing something new. That is death dealing. And what I'm teaching you all about is life. What gives life? And you get to make choices. I can't remember what the scripture is. See, it happened to me too. He says, listen, I offer you today, I present to you today, death and life. And he said, choose what? Choose life. We get to make those choices every day. So someday I might choose life. And my husband has to talk to me really hard because I don't want to hear him and I'm mad at him. I think you got to go ahead and I don't want to talk. So the little sin, my daughter, which is really hard. And I hear it. And I can repent. And it's not a bad word because it just means I can be human and intimate and crawl up in my dad's lap and go, yeah, I got that so wrong. Sorry, God, I got it wrong. I didn't understand. Then I can say, I still don't understand, so you need to explain some more stuff to me. And allow the Spirit to teach us. We were given the Spirit, and the Spirit's job description is this, to lead and guide. I'm okay? In all truth. To lead and guide us into a relationship with truth. Why do I say relationship? Because God is truth. There are many facts in life. There is a fact that I am an African-American woman in the United States with all the baggage when I try to get a job and people see me on the street, that I got people following me in the store because they think I'm going to steal something and I get an attitude about it. Those are facts. But the truth is I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The truth is I'm more than an overcomer. The truth is no weapon formed against me shall prosper. But every tongue that rises up against me, I have a heritage. It's like a breastplate in front of me. Righteousness, security, triumph over opposition. This is what stands in front of me. It's who God is. And he leads me into a relationship with that that allows me to overcome and be a light to show other people the path to this relationship. It'll show them how to overcome too. So he tells us, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't lose heart in what you've been doing. You believe in me. I won't leave you. I'm with you. I have made my home here, and I am not going anywhere. I know other people deserted you. I know the people you trusted and told you things that were supposed to be true of me, and they weren't. But I'm bringing you to a place of understanding. I'm bringing you to a place of freedom. And I want you to know, as we go into our sermon next week, that there is joy. There is joy. There is joy. Fear not, for we have overcome that which deals in death. And we cling. We cling possessively, because it's our gift to that which gives life. Amen? Amen. 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 God is good.